Welcome to the Healing Place podcast, a space filled with inspirational stories of hope, along with practical advice for your healing journey. Your host is Terry Welbrock, trauma warrior, writer, speaker, blogger, therapy dog handler, and founder of the Sammy's Bundles of Hope Project. As a survivor and a thriver, Terry's mission is to shine the light of hope into the world by interviewing insightful guests from across the globe. Please stay tuned at the end of today's interview as we honor our sponsors. The Healing Place podcast is a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas. Now, here's your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. Welcome to the Healing Place Podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock, and excited to have with me today, Andrea Hummel. So welcome. Thank you, Terry. Yes, such a pleasure to have you. We were just talking before I hit record uh, that I was stalking your website and reading over your bio and just, uh, just blown away and amazed by all you were doing. So you're the founder of Improv for Peace, and you work with companies and organizations um, yeah, in helping with resolution and healing. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so a lot of times people ask me, well, how did you get into this line of work? And it's it's kind of a circuitous route. Um, but I grew up bicultural. My parents are from Germany, and they grew up during World War II Germany. And um, so obviously they went through a lot of trauma there with all the associated experiences of wartime in any country. And um, so the combination of hearing some of their stories as well as understanding what it's like to be from a different culture, to be bicultural, um, helped propel me in the direction of becoming an anthropologist, cultural anthropologist. And so what I did early in my career is I would teach people about cultural differences in an attempt to get them to come together as well as understand who they are um, themselves so that they can be better out in the world and be able to connect better with other people by understanding themselves better. Um, and in the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, I've focused more on community trauma rather than individual trauma. So what I mean by that is um, highlighting some of the experience in, uh, in work I've done in Charlottesville, for example, Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, which has now become ubiquitous with community violence or some of the things happening in, in Orlando, the shootings there uh, in the gay community or um, Columbine, any of those places that leave you with a community that's traumatized afterwards. And so again, the common thread there is that I'm trying to bring people together, bring people together from different points of view, different experiences, perhaps different cultures, and help them understand themselves better. And um, but. Even if you talk about community, a community is made up of individuals. Absolutely. So we have to talk about individuals. And um, so that's what led me to get interested in something called psychodrama. And so the reason I don't call my business psychodrama for peace is because that has a negative connotation, obviously. So that's why I call it improv as an improvisation for peace. So a lot of my work is built on, on psychodrama and what that 
actually involves when we're working with the personal psyche and repairing that. Yeah. So, so explain to me what, what the improv, the psychodrama is, is it, is it the people who are members of the community getting involved? Yes. So if you think of um, a theater piece, a drama piece, what do you have? You have a stage, you have um, people on the stage, you have people interacting with each other in a theater piece. And so obviously a theater piece, a play is scripted and we know what the beginning is, we know what the end is, at least we the actors do. Um, however, in improv, improvisational work, you start out with the premise, you start out with an idea or topic, but you don't necessarily know where you're going to go. Now, psychodrama is kind of the intersection between those two, between improvisation and straight drama or theater, in the sense that we start out with something that's very important to us, something, a, a trauma, a, a topic that's dear to us, and we turn that into an improvisational piece. We pick people from the audience to play various people, various roles in our life, and then hit the start button and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and so the thinking is because this is, this is something that happens not inside your head, not the voices that we usually have inside our head talking to each other and yelling at each other, but actually seeing this take place outside our head, we are then able to come up with a more healing therapeutic ending because it's not all running around in, in our head in an endless loop. The amygdala, the part of our brain yes. associated with fight or flight, isn't the one that's running the show, but we actually get to see out in front of us, outside of our body, outside of our head, what's going on. Yeah. And are, they, are people pretty amazed being a part of this and not knowing what they're going into at the results of how, how this transpires? Uh, yeah, and I mean, that's, that's an interesting point Not when you said people going into this not knowing what's going to transpire. So you do have to tread very carefully. You have to prep the group. You have to kind of tell them this is what's going to happen. Do a lot of warm-up because if you think about it, if you walk into a room with a group of strangers or people you may sort of know, um, it's still really difficult to be vulnerable to talk about some of the very difficult experiences. And so we have to tell them, well, this is what's going to happen. This is what it looks like. Okay. And then at every point throughout the process, you get to choose. Do you want to be part of it or do you want to be on the sidelines sitting out there watching? Um, but the interesting thing is that you don't get picked to play a role, for example, of somebody's mother or somebody's aunt or whatever, um, unless for some strange reason what we call telly the connection between people unless for reasons of telly the person picking you already sees something in you that could benefit from playing the mother um so it becomes a therapeutic process for everybody not just the one person who's whose process we're working on right yeah and yeah so I mean I'm 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 always jazzed up by it. It's I certainly don't know what happens, how it's going to turn out. Now I don't want to say that it's a free for all uh, scenario because I mean this is based on um, psychotherapy, group psychotherapy, and psychodrama. Like I said, which was founded by J. L. Moreno, 
a psychotherapist back in the 1920s. And um, so there is actually a structure behind the scenes. It's not just let's throw people together and see what right. happens. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Now, do you videotape these ever or? No, for reasons of confidentiality, obviously. Um, but there are some training videos out there or some demos. And okay. I plan putting a few of those types of demos up on the web too, just to, again, do some education ahead of time to get people interested in this. Um, and I mean, I've talked about doing this in a group context, but actually this is something that you can do on your own too. And um, I was thinking this morning before you and I started Skyping, um, started working together that what example could I use? And I thought, you know, so I woke up this morning and I've, got some voices in my head like everybody does and and there's this this one voice so I'm gonna use my hands here to demonstrate the voices right and what I actually like to do is use scarves to represent different voices so I'm gonna start out by saying and the reason I'm demonstrating this is because this is something that people can do on their own at home yes I so love got, it yes <laughs> so I've got this one voice here that says oh I'm feeling so tired. I, I don't really want to do this interview. And the other part says, what do you mean? You, there's nothing wrong with it. You've got all the good things in your life. Look, you've got this great interview scheduled. You've got, you've got a roof over your head. What are you complaining about? And so what happens is these two voices, it's a small voice and this big angry voice start getting in conversation. Now, again, since this happens inside my head, these two voices just start beating each other up and talking to each other, not getting anywhere, just going round and round. But if I take these two voices and I put them out in front of me in my workspace, then I can stand in different spots. I can stand over here in the spot where the small, scared voice is talking. And the small scared voice can talk to the voice that's represented by the scarf on the floor over here. Then I can switch places and I can stand in the big angry place and be talking back to the small voice. And so this conversation can go back and forth with some resolution. Now, a lot of times it isn't as simple as just two voices. We can have, we can have another voice. We can say, well, you know, I know that this, this angry voice came from something in my past. It was probably this person here in my past that has influenced me. So really, this and this voice are together. So now let me tease this apart and see what this voice really wants. And so you can see it already can become a lot of people, a lot of voices in this room. But by me taking the opportunity to stand in each of the different places, in each of the different voices it gives me a chance to fully speak from that voice rather than always trying to shut myself down shut down that voice inside my head and so with a little bit of self-facilitation or group facilitation if you're doing this in a big group um, we can then lead that to resolution which i would guess in this particular scenario that i'm bringing up here would be for this voice to say, I just want you to hear that I care so much about you. I'm just trying to protect you. 
and this voice then becoming strong enough to say, thank you for wanting to protect me, but you're doing too good of a job. Please pipe down. Right. So then we still have this voice somewhere, but it becomes smaller, and this becomes who we really are, the voice that wants to shine, the voice that wants to be authentic, that wants to be vulnerable and say, yeah, I'm having a crappy morning, but guess what? I'm here. And so then we see it really does have some pretty parts to it. Yeah. That's how there's resolution. Yeah, that's mesmerizing because I could feel the resolution occurring. And I even thought to myself, I wonder by standing over by the angry voice, like at first it's almost like I could feel myself like wanting to put my arm around it. Like, you know, I got you and being angry with it, that voice. And, but then starting to move into a place of um, almost compassion for the angry voice of, you know, I know you have this, I know you're angry for a reason, but let's, Let's just take a step back and see what's really going on here. And then you went and you talked about that actually occurring and that connection of, you know, something in the past, maybe a trauma and just separating it um, and almost just bringing that, that anger down. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So what I also find useful for people a lot is, is looking at what we call shadows. And so again, if we think of this angry voice as actually being, because it's too big in my life at the moment, is in shadow because I haven't allowed that voice to express itself enough. But once I give it a chance to express itself, it can right size itself. So we have shadows in a lot of different areas of our life and, and sometimes it's even shadows about being too big. For example, how many times as women have we been told, oh, you're too successful, you're too loud, you're too good, you're too aggressive. The same thing, the same behaviors that in a man would be labeled as being assertive, right? Um, being powerful, uh, getting things done. And yet we as women have had to, at least in this Western society, have had to put that in shadow for ourselves. So whenever we put those parts of ourselves that really want to fully express themselves, hide them away, they don't go away. They just get stuffed in a corner and eventually need to pop out. Well, when do they pop out? In moments of stress, obviously. So that's why it's very important to be able to, again, give voice to all the different parts of ourselves so that they don't blow out of control and run our lives, but we can actually use them when we need to rather than have them controlling us. Yes. I love that. And I love the idea of, um, yeah, the empowerment piece of that, um, as well as the healing and resolution part of it. But there is just an empowerment part as you give voice to those things that, yes, have been, you know, shushed. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So any myths or facts that you want to clarify around resolution or um, self-care? So let's talk about resolution and, and starting with conflict resolution since, you know, that's really what you do more when you're working with a group. Um, conflict resolution is, on the one hand, it's not as simple as, as putting a bumper sticker on your car that says, I believe in world peace, um, and then everybody thinks positive thoughts. It's not as simple as that. 
On the other hand, it also doesn't need to be this huge process with all kinds of different agencies involved um, and regulations and, and white papers and all this. It's really down to fundamentally two people in conflict, two groups in conflict, two voices in conflict, two or more, obviously. And so when we can chunk it down to that basic level, then it actually becomes a little easier to deal with. Then I can say, well, Terry, I have an issue with you, but it's okay because I can actually talk about it. So a myth about conflict resolution, again, is, is that it has to be this big complicated thing, and it's not. It's really, it's, it gets back to human connection. Yeah. And so I think especially now as we're coming using more social media and phones um, rather than actually connecting with each other face to face, it becomes harder to develop those skills, especially for young people to connect, to very simply connect. And we lose the ability to connect over the dinner table. We lose the ability to know what to do with each other within a family on a weekend because we haven't seen each other all week and we haven't practiced those skills of how to actually listen how to be with each other, how to be aware of our own feelings. And so then the challenge becomes, again, just learning how to connect again as human beings in the world around us. Yeah, again, beautiful. And I think I, I talk often about honoring one another's stories. And if we can just, or just honor one another's perspective, it, that's so huge. And it, I think we have lost that ability and, um, what a gift that would be to all of us to to be able to work on that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. All right. Um, so, yeah, so talk to us about, we talked a little bit about the, the community trauma, and before we started recording, we talked about wanting to go into the individuals um, and, and the self-care aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So, um there's a lot of things, a lot of little strategies and exercises that people can do in the privacy of their own homes. Um, and so you don't have to be in a group setting with a lot of other people. One of the techniques I just mentioned was the role reversal. So when I had those two different scarves and you step into one role, into one spot in your physical space, speak from that voice and speak to some another place and then you switch roles and you hear what that other place had, that other voice, that other persona had to say. Um, this is called empty chair technique a lot of times when you're just one person talking to an empty chair and you visualize who would be sitting in that chair. There was, was it the movie Inside Out, I think, that, that talked a little bit about the feature film that talked about the empty chair technique. Um, so that would be one technique. Um, another one is when you're with someone with whom you're having a difficult time communicating is the whole mirroring part where we mirror the other person's body language and attempt to understand them and attempt to connect before we move them to try to get them to understand our point of view. That's something that you can practice with a dog too. <laughs> <laughs> I have dogs too. I have not as beautiful as yours. Um, but one of them is a very frisky big dog. Um, and a lot of times I'll, you know, try to talk to the dog 
and then mirror the dog so that I can get a sense of, of what's going on, whether there's rapport there. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of these things you can, you can practice with, um, with other objects or dogs in your environment. Um, it's also useful to become aware of your own blind spots. In other words, the better we know ourselves and the better we know what our weak spots are, such as I always get triggered when X happens. I always get triggered by right. a loud voice. Um, then that's something that we can become aware of and to work with. So how do you do that? Well, again, either by watching people around you or I've watched TV programs too and noticed how I get triggered by certain behaviors and a journal. And so then I can start seeing patterns and saying, oh, okay, well, this is something that I might want to be working on. Um, now, before getting into any of this difficult type of material, uh, you don't just want to start in and then, especially if you had a, a long history of trauma, you could hit rock bottom because you become overwhelmed by traumatic memories. So you need to become very grounded first. Um, something that I think is also very therapeutic in and of itself is to create a safe space. And you've talked about the sacred space that you use um, where you have your puppies also when you do podcasts and, and other work. And so you can create the same thing in your own home very simply by picking a room or a place or even a place in the park where you know that it's your space and you won't be disturbed. You close the door, um, maybe turn on music really loud so people can't hear what you're doing. Um, and then that becomes a place in which you can fully be yourself for a predetermined amount of time. And so I'm talking boundaries here, the boundary of, of a separate room, the boundary of closing the door, the boundary of putting on music so that people can't hear you, and the boundary of setting a time limit. So when we go into our trauma, um, it helps to have that kind of space there, that kind of boundary, so that it doesn't, so there's not that fear that things will get out of control for you. Yeah, that's beautiful. I know I did EMDR therapy for four years, and that was one of the first things we put into place was that uh, I would have a safe space to go to. And if, it, if my physical space wasn't available, then I created one in my mind that I could go to and filled it with all things Terry, um, everything that brought me comfort and grounding and joy, and so that I would be able to. You know, so if I was in the car driving and felt panic, a panic attack starting to arise and those symptoms being triggered, I could then go into my safe space. Um, but yeah, it's the same idea of um, just creating a space for myself. But this, this space, one really cool thing about this space that I've created is you can't see the wall in front of you, but it's just filled with gifts from friends and plaques and sayings and pictures of my family and uh, my son. I'll light a candle and I'll put on meditative music when I'm writing. And my son, my older son, walked in and he said, Mom, this is the most peaceful place I've ever been in my life. I feel like it's hugging me. <laughs> How beautiful. I thought it was so cool. And I was like, oh my gosh, me too, buddy. That's why I have it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what I find so beautiful too is that your son 
was able to recognize that because a lot of times we get people coming from outside our space and stereotypically men who have not been raised to respect that soft side of themselves was still able to recognize that and maybe drawn to that. Yeah. 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 yeah so you were talking about all the things you have up in your wall and I would guess they're, they're very supportive. And so one of the other things I, w I would encourage people to do the same thing is to find supports within their life or to call up memories of those supports, whether it's like you have things up on the wall. Um, a lot of times what I obviously do is, is you know, get a scarf to, to uh, signify my mother or my father or somebody who's a supportive influence in my life so that when I need that, I can then put that around me and say, oh. okay, I really feel hugged by so-and-so. I can really just get into that and feel those arms around me. And so it's very important before you start any kind of self-discovery process is to set out your supports, to surround yourself with those people whom you feel supported by. And some of us have had such severe trauma that we can't really recognize or hook into, think of anybody who's been supportive. Well, in that case, then you think of strengths such as um, I always feel good in, in outside in nature. So my strength of support is going to be nature. Or for those of us who are religious, it would be God. Um, or honesty. Or love. Some of those strengths. But if I name those strengths and put them out beside me, around me, or up on your wall, then that becomes something that's with me all the time, even when I'm working through difficult material and um, so yeah there's there's a whole bunch of techniques actually I'm, I'm working with Dr. Kate Hutchins at the moment on a book on 52 techniques um, to help you self-process trauma and um, so yeah it really is 52 little techniques I'm sorry 51 <laughs> we might have another one maybe 52 that's right? what I was gonna say now you'll have to add one <laughs> yeah I'm missing that last one <laughs> Um, but anyway, so yeah, because there are all these small things that you can do and, um, yeah, it's, it's just so beautiful and, and I love this and I'm, I'm just enthralled and I'm like at the edge of my seat because I just, I so connect with everything you're saying. And, um, I, I, I was sitting here and listening and I collect hearts, but I also use these like calming stones. I don't know if you can see it. It's beautiful. Um, again, just another gift from someone that they had given me. And so I recently flew to Denver to see my, my son, John, who the one who had been hugged by my room. Um, he moved out to Denver. And so we flew out to see him and I had always used Xanax to fly. Um, and so I thought this time I'm going to get on that plane since I've done so much healing work and I'm not taking Xanax, but I'm going to pack myself a little backpack and fill it with all of these things that, like you're talking about that just helped me ground myself and helped create that sense of and so I would I had this backpack and I would pull these little things out if I started to feel but I really truly felt very minimal anxiety which was awesome <laughs> so yeah that's beautiful yeah 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 and I think also I mean the more you practice that the more your brain gets rewired yeah. because one of the problems with trauma is that your brain gets so used to after a traumatic experience to go down that same path, stimulus response, stimulus response. 
So it does take a bit of work to undo that neural pathway and come up with a new one, such as airplane safe, airplane safe, right? <laughs> yes, and that is that's so very true. And I and you're right in that. I mean, brain plasticity is just. I, I'm a trauma geek when it comes to brain plasticity. Once I discovered it and how we can rewire um, and change habitual patterns, but. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a matter, I think, of having a little pep talk with myself of, this is not going to be scary. It's going to be a huge adventure. We're going you know, to climb these mountains and be up at the top of these 8,000-foot peaks and blah, 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 which normally would terrify me. And, um, but I, had, I just shifted my mindset. Um, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm a big believer in... in taking those little nagging voices along with you. But the point is you just make them really small and you say, okay, so here's my little box. You need to fit in that box. <laughs> and so, <laughs> drawing on my um, anthropology background again, I have um, a little box of what are called Guatemalan worry dolls. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I have, yes. <laughs> so, so you have the tiny little dolls that fit in about a matchbox size box. And so you take your dolls out and you say, okay, this doll is going to hold for me this particular worry. And this doll is going to hold this worry. And this one, this one. So by the time you run out of dolls, sorry, that's all the worries you're allowed to have. <laughs> and then you stick them back in the box. And they're supposed to hold those thoughts for you so that you don't have to have them running around in your mind. But you can still take that box with you. And again, I like that concept. It's what we've been talking about, about compartmentalizing, not shutting away so much as just compartmentalizing and saying, yep, I know you're there, but right now I'm going to be focused here and, and I'll get back to you eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and honoring. I mean, I, I, I think one of the most powerful lessons I learned in EMDR therapy was just notice without judging. And so when things would surface, I now, and that was again, another huge shift where I gave all my attention to something. If I was, if it was surfacing, I, I, I would just be like, okay, yes, I see you're there. I feel you. Um, mm -hmm. And not judge it and realize something's triggering this. Um, and then it just would dissipate almost by just, by just noticing it's there. Okay. <laughs> right, right. It's that giving voice again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, even for me, even things like, like this uh, non-judgmental part that you're talking about, um, I need to personify that. And what I learned again from um, some people I've been training with is that you personify that actually with a card or an object. It's what's called the observing ego. So I could, before I start my process, I say, okay, so there is a part of me that's completely non judgmental and that's just watching what's going on. So obviously, observing ego needs to be up somewhere. So I'm going to put, whether it's a playing card or, or, a stuffed animal or something, I'm going to put it right over there so it can watch what's going on. And when all this over here gets too much, I can pull myself back and get back into the observing ego space right over there and just watch what's going on. Oh, so, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I'd keep coming back to concretize, concretize, just, just figure out a way to make it real in your own personal space um, without the fear that after you've unpacked your, your can of worms, so to speak, you can't put pack it back up. 
Yeah, you can because you know what? You take all your scarves and you pack them back in. And and uh, as a matter of fact, I have my bag is pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's just a matter of, of knowing that you can unpack it and repack it. And either one is okay. Is what, whatever you're ready to work with. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Like I said, I am trying to put together some some uh, just short five minute blips, some videos that will explain various parts of that because it's you know it's it's a it's a little hard to explain it just with hand motions and all this, right? We're <laughs> uh, in writing in an article, but to actually see it happen, especially with two or three um, people, makes a big difference. So that's one of the things I'm working on. I'm also um, trying to put together more of a training program to create some of those smaller uh, modules that you can incorporate within your workplace. Um, you teach other people to do that. Um, there's also a weekly series I have. It's called um, Soul Gym. So it's an opportunity for people to come together. The way they go to the gym on a weekly basis, so hopefully more often than that. Right. <laughs> um, work out I should. Yeah, I should, I know. Um, we also need that opportunity to work out our heart, work out our soul, so to speak. Yeah. And so it's just, it's an open space to come together and be able to work through some of those issues, at least touch on them a little bit so that the, the trepidation around working with some of those tough parts of ourselves becomes less and it's, it's, becomes easier and we uh, gain confidence in being able to take care of ourselves in a better, more right. meaningful way. Awesome. Sammy's wanting to say hi. She never gets up. So she just, she just popped over to say hello. Um, so how do people get a hold of you then? You have a website. Yes, I do. I have a website. It's called improvforpeace.com. Very simple. Now, a lot of times people will spell the improv as an, with an E on the end, improve. If you look for improve, sorry, it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so improvforpeace.com. I've got a LinkedIn page. I've also got a um, Facebook page. So I post on both Improv for Peace Facebook as well as Andrea C. Hummel Facebook. Um, so you'll see a lot of cross postings there. Wonderful. So, Yeah. And um, there's a lot of podcasts. If you're interested in more conversations about this, there's a few links to podcasts up on my website too. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Was there anything else that we didn't touch upon that you wanted to talk about today? Um, yeah, actually one more thing that I just wanted to bring up, uh, sure. not so much related to my work, but related to self-care in general. Um, you and I were talking before we started taping about how sometimes doing this type of work as a professional becomes very overwhelming. And when you're working with it as an individual, not a professional, it's certainly incredibly overwhelming too. Um, so it helps me to remember a line that Fred Rogers uh, said that his mother gave him. Um, and I think it's been pretty popularized by now that uh, that we always need to look for the helpers out there. If we focus on the helpers rather than the problems, it does give us more, um, more motivation and more joy about the type of work you do. It doesn't become as overwhelming. Yeah. And 
self-care is just one of the most important things, whatever line of work you do, because if you can't take care of yourself first, you're not going to be able to take care of your work out in the world. Yes. Beautiful. We just uh, watched the Fred Rogers documentary, not the, not the Tom Hanks movie, but the documentary, like his actual life is it. Oh my gosh. I snubbed. I cried so hard through that whole thing because just so beautiful. What a beautiful human being. Um, yep. And yes, he did that, that line. He talked about it himself um, and that it was his mother that had told him that um, advised him to always look for the helpers and just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for everything you're doing again to bring peace and resolution and self-care into the light and shining your beautiful light of hope um, into the world. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, it's been an honor having you here. And um, yeah, so thanks. Everyone, thank you for joining us on the Healing Place podcast. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Healing Place podcast with your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Terry, her mission, and the Hope for Healing journey, visit Terry's website at www.terrywellbrock.com. Thank you for liking, commenting, sharing, and offering your reviews on our YouTube channel, audio outlets, and Facebook page. And as Terry reminds us, until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Diane Petrella for her generous donation to the Healing Place podcast funding drive through my fiscally sponsored project with Fractured Atlas at the advocate level, and also thank Patty Gill for her generous donation at the friend level. Thank you so much for believing in me and the mission of this podcast. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor and donor for the Healing Place podcast, just visit my website at terrywalbrock.com and you will find a link on any of those pages. Again, thank you so much for believing in this healing space and supporting it. Take care.